Hey, hey, and welcome to the ComaCast. I'm your co-host, Cody. Hey everyone, I'm Matt here, and we are glad you're joining us for another episode of the ComaCast. That's right, Matt. It's where we dive into the lives of LGBT individuals whose crime cases have gone cold. But today we're going to be talking about a special case. We're going to be talking about the Aaron Hernandez story. Podcasting from the Lone Star State in Southern California, you're listening to the Coma Podcast with Cody and Matt. And welcome to the Coma Cast. Hey, Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. How are things out in California? They are pretty good, I have to say. Uh, it's been great weather. Just kind of been chilling, relaxing. Life's been pretty good in general. How about you? Uh, same. I've been shuffling around my class schedule for school and uh, trying to make it a little more realistic. I've had a couple of semesters where it was... um. Uh, difficult you know those sleepless yes, nights <laughs> most definitely uh, i i remember going back like it is that shuffling of like do you have enough classes do you not have enough classes and then you many times i would just pile too many classes on at once and then it's just like oh my goodness you have to get that right balance right and going back for my my bsn or bachelor's of science in nursing i have my undergrad in psych. So when they transferred everything over, I've got a bunch of classes that were given to me, but certain classes are prereqs to other classes that I still need. So I don't need very many classes before I go to my clinicals. Yeah. But the ones I need are kind of stressful (laughs) or a lot of work or not available. And they, some of them cannot be taken together. And uh, so I've, it's been a fun few semesters of spreading them out, even though technically I'm 70 something percent done with transferring over. So, you know, that again, balance You're nearing the end, nearing the end, but just trying to get that balance to finish up. I, well, it's like nearing the end of the first step because I keep thinking <laughs> that of is it, but true, then it. That's true. <laughs> and then it's like, okay, <laughs> clinicals. <laughs> I just keep telling myself, okay, I just got to survive this part. And then next step is clinicals. I'm not saying that's going to be the easy part. I just mean, I just want to, Get you're to that progressing. Part. You're you're getting to that next the next step, as you say. Yeah, we're not anywhere near the end of the tunnel, but because of uh, already having my first degree, it's an accelerated program. So once I get to my clinicals, it's 15 months, and then I'm done. But I don't know if I'm sleeping and at all in those 15 <laughs> months. So I don't know anything about this. I don't have anybody to. You I know, mean, I'm just kind of <laughs> winging it. Here's the deal, though. I always wonder this. Like, do you actually sleep, though? Because so for those who don't know, like me and Matt <laughs> text quite a bit throughout the day. But like at my point in time, like I'll be out here in California time, like 10, 11 midnight, still texting him and he's still awake. So it's like 2 a.m. <laughs> in Texas. Like and then you like text back like it. I guess it's a little later in Texas, probably like nine or 10, but it's like, do you sleep? So as one of my friends used to say to reference Chuck Norris, Matt doesn't sleep. He waits. (laughs) That was a running joke for a long time. And I didn't know that it was a running joke kind of like behind my back and someone slipped over at a dinner because, um, but I don't know. It's true. I don't really sleep very often. My mom and my grandfather, her dad uh, are the same are and were the same way so it just i don't seem to have a circadian rhythm it's very strange now when i fall asleep 
I will stay asleep. I don't get up 50 times um, unless it's to go to the bathroom, but I can lay down at between 10 and 12 and I can lay there until 5 a.m. As something that people are like, I guess you could look at and say that people have become a little worried about, especially here in America, it seems like, and it's helped along by this ridiculous 24-hour news cycle, but this whole virus that's come up in China, and then now there's been some cases uh, here in the United States from people who have actually traveled from China. But it seems like everybody, like a lot of people on Twitter and a lot of people on Facebook, just are like freaking out about this disease. Um, But I like... I think it should kind of be put into perspective that like people in America should probably be more concerned about the flu and more worried about the flu, the different types of flus here that are common every day, as opposed to this novel virus. You know, obviously that's a big situation and people should pay attention to it. But I think this 24 hour seven news cycle and just being everywhere and bombarded with it is like, cause people to freak out and they're like worrying about things and I I saw some people be like I don't know if I should let my kids go to school and it's like okay no one at the school has this particular virus they might have the actual flu like and there's like some like interesting stats to look at like just in the first two weeks of 2020 the regular flu has killed more than 5,000 people in the United States. Now, usually that's the result of people getting pneumonia and secondary things because of the flu. But I think it's like so crazy like that people are freaking out about this, but like just basically ignoring this other medical thing that is an everyday issue. It is exhausting. Um, like you said, the 24-7 coverage is can be problematic because it it's just in your face all the time. And it's not to say that, you know, yes, this is happening and we should be aware of it and keep an eye on it. But putting in perspective of how many people have gotten sick or have passed away from it, which is unfortunate. I mean, it's still a terrible thing. Anybody that's passed away from this, you know, their families now have, you know, a tragedy on their hands. But like you said, other viruses and other things also cause serious illness and death. And, you know, like, you know, really worried about this. Maybe we should, you know, maybe worry about vaccinating your kids. You know, it was just in my head. Yeah. The whole vaccination you know, thing is an issue. So this is like the, when Star, SARS was happening, social media really wasn't a big thing or really around, I don't think. And so this is no, the first time that there's been a, uh, like a, a virus that has started spreading globally where there's been social media. Uh, we we did have like the little bit, uh, I guess, the outbreak of like Ebola, and there was like the few people in the oh, United the States that got Ebola. And again, that was that was people who had been doing like some uh, work and helping people in other countries and had come back, and that's how they had contracted it. So it's kind of the same case in this in this instance. But right. I think uh, as we get here to end this one little bit here, just like to mention, uh, there was the news that happened. Um, recently of Kobe Bryant and the helicopter crash. Um, and that was kind of just a big shock to everyone. Uh, and of course he was uh, on the helicopter 
with his daughter. Uh, other passengers included uh, John Altobelli, Carrie Altobelli, Alyssa Altobelli, Sarah Chester, Peyton Chester, uh, Christina Mouser, and then the pilot. Um, so we got a lot of like headlines about Kobe and his daughter dying, but there were other people involved and other families that were involved. But I think uh, an interesting takeaway and something that I heard some people talking about uh, on some news reports on TV and even online is that there was like this whole thing um, that like people put Kobe Bryant on this pedestal. And we do this a lot with any kind of celebrity of sort, but like surprise, like, oh my God, he died, but it was Kobe Bryant and he died. Like, just like that there was this shock uh, about uh, a figure. Um, and I think it's one of those things you can look at that like no one is immune from death and it can happen at any point in time. You know, he was very young. His daughter, I think, was like 13 or 14. She was 13, correct. Um, and then you had uh, this family with their daughter and this other um, mother with her daughter. And so I think that kind of like puts into perspective and things. And we can even kind of pull it into the podcast about some of these people that we talk about, like life isn't promised day to day. And so like life is really precious, you know, whether it be a health thing, you know, that you end up catching or in this case, it was a helicopter crash. And I mean, they didn't get on that helicopter, you know, thinking something was going to happen, you know? So I think it was interesting watching people kind of like go through that in their head um, the psychological nature of that. Yes. Um, because obviously it's a very tragic situation. And of course people were starting to be named before, um, the families were notified, which is, it's just terrible. And it's hard to know that it's hard to imagine that happening because we think, you know, just as average consumers, Oh, if the CNN and, you know, these major, for example, or major news companies, networks are posting it and you're like oh well of course the families would have to know and obviously because it's kobe bryant then that's gonna be the first name because that's why they were in the helicopter Mm -hmm. allegedly kobe would only fly with this pilot um and they were traveling to a game for his daughter and one of the other girls in there i believe it's um the daughter of uh, the young, the daughter of the Altabellis. Mm-hmm. She's a teammate of their daughter Gianna's. So they were all traveling together along with the coach and you know the other passengers. And um, seeing the the process online because so I played basketball when I was younger. Yeah. And uh, when I was playing, you know, you you knew who Kobe Bryant was. I mean, everybody knows who he is now. But I was just a you know, middle school, high school student. Uh, I played through middle school um, for the county. So. Yeah, you just knew. And we watched basketball at home. And uh, so it was, it was just like this force of nature, you know, it was some of the basketball greats. And then seeing online, you know, whenever somebody is lost, like a celebrity or a public personality, I think there's that connection that people develop with that person. Um, so, of course, you know, you never know who knows who personally. So I, I, I never, ever comment because it, I think it's inappropriate people are going to grieve and think and say what they need or want to say, but you see it happening and it's, uh, it's challenging. Some of it's very emotional. Some of it's very cold. 
um, you kind of run the gamut on um, emotions. People can be vicious to each other. Um, and it's, um, and you know, and it's that viciousness that I see to other people's grieving processes that is actually something we're going to talk about today later with um, Aaron Hernandez. You know, we kind of see kind of a polar opposite response in a lot of ways um, than we do with uh, Kobe Bryant. And then, of course, now we're discussing, um, you know, in this case, um, in the Aaron Hernandez story, we're discussing Aaron's death and life and the events surrounding it. Whereas in this case, we're discussing a tragic accident. Um, and I believe it was nine total, including the pilot, uh, were lost. And, you know, they're still doing the investigations. And I'm I'm sure it's not the last of it. But just like with the coronavirus, um, the news organization sensationalizing it even more. Um, I can't imagine how hard it must be for the families, let alone finding out on the news of something like that happening. In, in our talking, when we talk about the Aaron Hernandez case here in a minute, it's going to be interesting because you take Kobe Bryant, a young uh, star or a young person who was 18 and who developed into this whole big career and this whole big persona of who he was and the things he's done even after um, basketball and winning an Oscar for his short film. And then you have Aaron Hernandez also in the sports world, started young, got drafted into the uh, football league at 18 and his life took a whole different turn. Um, but we'll be talking about Aaron Hernandez coming up next. So today we are discussing Aaron Hernandez, who is an American football player who played in the NFL for the New England Patriots. Before that, he was a star player at the University of Florida. Now, despite all of that success, he was living two lives that ultimately caught up with him when he was convicted of murder. His life ultimately was cut short when he committed suicide in prison shortly after being acquitted of a double homicide. Now, Aaron Joseph Hernandez was born in Bristol, Connecticut. He was raised by his father, Dennis Hernandez, and his mother, Terry Valentine Hernandez. Both parents would ultimately be arrested and involved in crimes during his life. Hernandez did have an older brother, Dennis Jonathan Jr., known as DJ. Now, their father pushed both Dennis and Aaron really hard, uh, especially in sports. Also, there were many times when he became abusive towards both boys, also abusive towards his mother. Now, a big turning point in Aaron Hernandez's life is believed to be around the point in time in January 2006 when Aaron Hernandez father, Dennis Hernandez, died from complications of surgery. Now, Aaron Hernandez was just 16 at the time. Hernandez was really popular in school, uh, a star football player. He played at Bristol Central High School for the Rams football team, and he really was a star of that team. He played other sports, including track and field, but football was his main thing. Uh, while in high school, he ultimately committed to play for the University of Connecticut. At the time, his brother was already playing uh, at the University of Connecticut. So it's going to be kind of like a, a family thing, keeping it in the family at the University of Connecticut. Of course, his father had died when he was just 16. Some things happened, and ultimately, uh, he ended up not wanting to go to Connecticut and chose to 
go to the University of Florida under head coach Urban Meyer. Now, the this is where some things start happening. We can start to see some changes in how he's acting. Um, and of note, there were multiple times he was obviously uh, hit really hard in football during high school, but there was one key time that a lot of people point out that he was hit so hard uh, that an ambulance had to come and get him off the field. Um, so of note, when we talk a little bit later about CTE, the brain disorder uh, affecting many football players. Now, while at the University of Florida, uh, there was some criminal activity that ended up occurring. Uh, he kind of was a suspect in this particular instance. Ultimately, nothing ever came about that, and we'll probably speak about that a little bit more later on. But while at the University of Florida, big success, All-American there at the University of Florida. Ultimately, he was drafted by the Patriots in the fourth round during the 2010 NFL Draft. Now, only three years later, which is crazy, but three years later during the offseason is when Aaron Hernandez was ultimately arrested and charged for the murder of Odin Lloyd. Now, Odin Lloyd was a semi-professional player who was dating the sister of Hernandez's fiance. Now, following his arrest, Hernandez was immediately released by the Patriots. He was found guilty of first-degree murder in 2015 of Odin Lloyd. He was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Now, while on trial for Lloyd's murder, he was also indicted for the 2012 double homicide that occurred in Boston. Now, he ultimately was acquitted in 2017 during that trial. Now, days after being acquitted of this double homicide, Hernandez was found dead in his cell. His death was ultimately ruled a suicide by hanging. Now, his conviction uh, for Lloyd's murder was initially vacated under this weird doctrine uh, that basically, like, if you die in prison during an appeal, your case is vacated because you really can't be there and be present for that appeal, obviously, to dictate whether you're innocent or guilty since we're we're under a pill situation uh but despite it being vacated uh the prosecutors and odin lloyd's family uh worked through appeals and going towards the state and court cases and ultimately uh aaron hernandez's uh court case was reinstated um, despite this weird, weird, crazy uh, doctrine that had been in place uh, for so, so many years. Now, after his death, Hernandez's brain was donated to science. Now, this basically, uh, the lawyers and some of his family members really wanted to look, uh, get a look at his brain to see how damaged it might have been because uh, we had a lot of reports of CTE with other football players. Uh, so in this case, his brain was diagnosed with severe CTE. Uh, the doctor and researchers responsible for looking at his brain ultimately determined that he had some of the worst CTE that they have ever seen for a young person uh, under the age of 25 now, CTE, ultimately, uh, some say, could have affected his actions and his emotional stability and could have been a contributing factor in some of his criminal behavior, but that's up for discussion. Right, and with the Aaron Hernandez case, this isn't a, a case where 
himself and a few friends were out and an escalated bar fight. Everybody got in trouble. Everybody went home. This is so much more than that. There's so many layers to this as, you know, there's other things we haven't talked about. Um, You know, we just don't have that kind of time to go into every single event that happened and sent this in so many different directions. You know, we have acquittals, we have um, convictions, life sentences, things that were um, cleared, things that were then appealed and put back in play. And in the meantime, you know, we, you know, we know how it ended um, with his suicide. And all of that is happening in this very short window, because, you know, he was only 27 when he passed away. And, you know, as we're talking about this, I do want to remind people that we're not condoning any of his negative actions here or trying to paint him in a, a different light other than we're just trying to discuss. These are things that happened on the way. And since it is after the fact and 2020 hindsight is a real thing, we can look back and see, you know, well, what was going on. So like, for example, we discussed a little bit about his father. Well, his older brother goes by DJ mentioned, you know, there's talks about how, um, you know, they were randomly hit and abused at home and it was, you know, to push them to excel more. And it can be hard for somebody to understand, you know, like we discussed, Aaron Hernandez never got over the death of his father and people would, maybe have a hard time understanding how can someone have a hard time getting over the death of somebody that abused them if they abuse them well that's a whole nother branch of psychology but it absolutely exists that it we're not going to hand out diagnosis that's not what we're here to do but it's very important to remember that each person's relationship with a family member or their abuser is to be very 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 different if you are raised from birth from a certain person and how they treat you whether it's good or bad that's all you know from them and their dad their father their mother their you know whatever that position in your life is and they're suddenly gone no matter what it it appears just uh, speculation that it was some of the structure that you know helped and it's mentioned that you know um he drank a lot and he smoked a lot of weed before practices and games. Yeah, he was a, he was functional. He was able to pull this off, you know, the things he did. And it's very likely, you know, could he have been struggling with severe anxiety and stress? You know, we know that um, he definitely questioned his sexuality. That obviously was a player. And I think anybody in the LGBTQ community that's listening, we've all witnessed we all have anecdotal stories of people we know or ourselves acting out when our sexuality was questioned. And even when we knew, we knew it in ourselves when it wasn't accepted by the people around us, when that door is slammed shut, all that energy and that emotion you have about it, it's a part of who you are and denying it does nothing. It will, it's like water, you know, that's expanding in a sealed room it's eventually going to blow the doors apart. It's going to blow the walls off and it's going to blow the ceiling off. And that's just one aspect of his life. Um, Yeah. I think that structure is, is a big part of what we can kind of look back on now on his life. And we see that that structure early on with his father. Now, again, like you, like you mentioned, there's those negative parts 
to that structure that occurred, but that structure kind of kept him on a path to a point. And, you know, that's when he had that, the high school career. And that's when he was like, he, like he was a really good football player in high school. And then that's when, you know, he was going to go to the university of Connecticut. And once his father died, that structure was no longer there. And his mother, you know, obviously didn't provide much to that structure. And then, you know, that's kind of when he went, went off to Florida and he was going to live his life because he didn't necessarily have anyone to live his life for. Obviously he was living for himself, but he had spent all of his youth growing up doing things for his father and wanting to make his father proud. And so when he didn't have that, that's where you, you started seeing some of this happen and you have some of this, uh, as you mentioned, drug things start happening in college. And as we mentioned, that potential shooting happened in college. Right. And it, and you just see this pattern and, um, of course, you know, when you sit back to use the phrase armchair quarterback it, people will always have something to say. It's like, well, you know, a parental figure could have stepped in. Um, you've obviously never raised teenagers if you think that you can really wrangle. Once a person realizes they're 18 plus and the, the power you exert over them only exists if they say so. I mean, it's, when I went off to college, I... I knew that I had to take care of myself, but you know, a lot of us won't face the struggles that he faced, even though he wasn't a a super celebrity at that point, he's still being watched by everyone. And also he's a powerfully strong guy. And it was even noted, I believe by one of his coaches that when he arrived to the college world, you know, as we all know, college is a level of freedom. Most of us have never experienced before, let alone going to a whole new state the sunshine state of all places. Um, I grew up in Florida. Most of my friends went to UF. I went to UCF for a while. And it was it's an experience that it really isn't matched, let alone arriving there under glowing reviews about how great your skills are. But they noted that he was not emotionally or academically prepared. He graduated high school the way he did because he was really good at football. And it's that... Okay, that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> but look... Let's talk about how what a disservice that is to students to send them off because they they're good at a sport. Yes, you can make your next school a lot of money and then you're going to get a great contract. But if you don't have if you're not emotionally there yet to take care of yourself and structure yourself, you know, most kids go out and experiment and do things. And yeah, it's almost yeah, all it's of just- us do it. <laughs> It's kind That's of one of those of things. The, it's just the college the human experience <laughs> and human experience. Yeah. Uh, when you're talking about like, is someone stepping in to be that father, father figure or to provide some structure, not necessarily even a family or father kind of feel, but just to provide structure in his life, you know, you could look towards, uh, those in leadership at, at college level, like his coaches. Now, they did provide, um, as much leadership as they could, as far as, what football can do and football was a really big thing for him and it in itself provided some sort of structure but then we can even kind of like take a step back in this whole shooting incident that occurred uh when he was a freshman uh coming onto the college campus 
football is like a huge thing. And for the Gators, that is a big thing. That is the life uh, in Florida. Everyone who lives there, it's all about the team and all about the football team. So there is actually some thoughts that, you know, he was a person of interest, but because he was on this football team and he was providing essentially millions and billions of dollars to the school by being a part of this program. There is some people who believe that this kind of was just wiped away because he was a football player. And that is its part of that own is, is another podcast. Thing. <laughs> well, one of the challenges of discussing Aaron Hernandez is, you know, you don't want to do a disservice to the story by skipping things. But at the same time, it goes in so many different directions. And there's so many players. Um, you know, he had a fiance and a young daughter and, um, you know, all the people that he dealt with. And there was, you know, going back to the abuse thing, um, his older brother uh, stated that um, a teenager in their babysitter's house had um, molested Aaron Hernandez as a child. And it continued for years. And even that made him question to one of his lawyers who was gay what if abuse could make somebody gay because he couldn't deal with it and as an adult he displayed that clarity to think and ask that question to another gay man who's representing him in a a murder case and that's what comes to his mind i think that tells you that everything that's happening in his world you know he's being tried for murders and released from his team most of us take our sexuality for granted I think, you know, it was like, oh, well, yeah, of course I'm this way. But for somebody in Aaron Hernandez's position, you think of all those terrible things that could happen. You would think the last thing on your mind would be, um, oh, I'm gay or straight or whatever I am. It was clearly not dealt with. A college girlfriend had noted that, you know, he never dealt with that abuse from, you know, the sexual abuse. So you have the abuse from his father of being controlled and then suddenly released into the winds and then you have that torture of you know he was abused for years this was not even not that one incident makes it okay but this was a extended thing that went that happened to him and then you have that then suddenly release into the world on a football team and i think that when you look at that it just seems like a it's like a perfect storm of (laughs) Here comes trouble. Yeah, I, I think when he, so he was with uh, the team, the Gators, and ultimately he was wanting to be drafted into the NFL. He was not going to be coming back for his senior year, I believe, on the team. And so going to be drafted. Ultimately, you know, when you're drafted, you go through basically all of these like tests and all of these teams basically have like algorithms for who they want to pick or who they think is best. And there's a lot of things that go into that. Obviously, you have football skill that needs to go in that. And the team might be looking for something specific as far as like those particular criteria. But they also take a look at like your mental state and like, I guess, how adult you are and can you handle what's going to come with being an NFL football player? And ultimately that was kind of one of the deficiencies in his, he had everything when it came to football, 
he could do it and he scored high on all that. But when it came to like, just like being able to kind of be an adult, his numbers on that were a little bit low showing he was immature. Now here's the thing. He was like super young still, you know, we're talking about Kobe Bryant being 18 drafted into the NBA. Here we have Aaron Hernandez also being super young, but ultimately the team took, took a chance on him and went ahead and drafted him. But I think, you know, that's something that we can also look at if we're trying to kind of like look at the mindset of who Aaron Hernandez was. And if we want to kind of like talk about what was going on in his head that could have led to him murdering Odin Lloyd, there's a lot to it. You know, as you've talked about, there's a whole sexuality nature to it. And that could play a part into um, things. You have the immaturity level, and that obviously is going to play a role into things. Right. You know, you think about how you react to something when you were 17, 18, and 20, to how you react to something at 30. You know, the older we get, we tend to be a little less hot-headed, let alone being an 18-year-old football star, like, you know, and we're not going to deny, I mean, he was an incredibly attractive guy physically. I mean, he had lots of attention. He was very popular in school. This is somebody who uh, turned heads wherever he walked, and his skills backed him up on the field. I mean, in, in our society, that is celebrity status. So... And so then you can imagine, we all know how straight guys react when their sexuality is challenged, whether whether or not the accusations or the jokes or the proddings are real or not, the perceived, that perceived offense to their sexuality can generate just an incredibly violent response. I mean, it, it has, and that's why that's even some of the things we've talked about in other cases and other episodes is because of these violent responses. So we have um, a very young man who has has resources, is has connections, is popular, and is immature. And they also suspect, you know, he was diagnosed with CTE after um, after his death and his autopsy. And for those uh, the uninitiated CTE is essentially what happens when you too many concussions and brain damage, and it's common in football players. Um, and it can result in emotional instability, memory loss. And I believe one of his lawyers noted it that, you know, other times he, he was perfectly fine and clear. And then other times he had these big gaps in his memory and, uh, other issues that were just not normal for someone so young. And that's, I don't want to turn around. I don't want to say, oh, that's to blame for all his bad decisions. But when you think about how angry you are at something, you think about the angriest you've ever been in as an adult, that if you could have possibly made a bad decision, you didn't because you think, of course, I wouldn't do that because I would get in trouble. And that's not the good thing to do. But imagine if some of those restraints were dissolved and then you were 20% angrier and it was all a chemical reaction. It was all just due to your brain telling you, do it. And then what? And I think that something that we should question because, and again, I mean, it's been the age old battle with football players and head injuries and 
how many of them have had terrible older uh, their older adult years and middle age years were a struggle because of brain injuries but yeah, yeah i is. think that's like we could spend a whole thing talking about that particular thing a cte and how it changes the brains of those people who are constantly hit and that's like another one of those things that you know can be brought up and looked at you know he'd been playing football since he was in high school constantly being hit college constantly being hit and that's one of the things a, a lot of other football players talked about at this point in time you know you're injured you're given shots to basically help you to continue playing while injured and then you keep playing and keep playing and you know your head's getting hit over and over again and for someone you know again who is young and your brain is still developing to have that continue to happen uh is just kind of insane now when they did examine his brain and they they found the cte they basically said the doctor who examined it and who's done research on a lot of football players who have CTE, it was basically the worst that they have seen of CTE in a brain of a football player, especially at such a young age. Uh, so, you know, we obviously, he was convicted of th this murder. And by all accounts, he did do the murder. But... You know, I think you do kind of have to take um, a, a a look at the whole CTE nature uh, uh, of this in connection with everything that is going on in his life. Correct, and and I think we forgot to mention, but it stands for chronic traumatic encephalopathy, um, is what CTE stands for. And like we mentioned, you know, there are so many topics within the Aaron Hernandez story that could be entirely separate episodes entirely separate things to delve into and however the murders happened ultimately these people were killed and unjustly so it appears you know that they they were just they were attacked and whatever whatever the circumstances that led up to it they're they're dead and of course now mr hernandez is also um dead by um dead by suicide it's the story is just it's like a continuing tragedy that just doesn't seem to seem to want to stop. So my understanding is that that he was acquitted of the double homicide and then the appeal was it was there an appeal on Odin Lloyd's? So um we have in this case we have he was convicted of the uh Odin Lloyd murder. Now after that happened uh, he was going to be brought up on the murder charges of two other people that had occurred in Boston. Now, you you know, you want to take a look and be like, oh, this story is a circus. And we kind of talked about it with Eileen Ornos uh, last week in that her story was such a circus. But his story was also such a circus. Um, you have this case in Boston. Two people uh, were shot uh, in the street. They were in a car. Now, supposedly, it was Aaron Hernandez and, and this um, 
other man, Alexander Bradley, I believe, uh, they pulled up in a car next to these other two people and Aaron Hernandez supposedly shot into the car and killed these uh, two people in in Boston. Crazy thing, whole circus is Aaron Hernandez wasn't really close with his mother, ultimately, as time went on. And he became closer with his uh, cousin. Now, when he was arrested for the Odin Lloyd murder, investigators started investigating. And they started investigating people that were around Aaron Hernandez. And one of those people was Aaron Hernandez's cousin. They go and search Aaron Hernandez's cousin. And guess what they find in her house in the garage? They find the vehicle that police in Boston have been looking for involved with this Boston double homicide. I mean, it's just crazy. You know, he's and me investigated for this Odin Lloyd murder. And then here they find this getaway car, essentially, in his cousin's uh garage now ultimately you have the Odin Lloyd case he was convicted there go to the Boston double homicide case he was not convicted there so he was acquitted in that case uh, despite the evidence and that was uh, a case um, that involved a lawyer as you're talking about who ended up getting to have a conversation with him um, about being gay and that's when he had he he had mentioned, um, "Are you born gay?" Now, after this acquittal, you know we have Aaron Hernandez, who, by all accounts, things are looking up for him. And if you are him or his family members, things are looking good. The appeals case was then ongoing in the Odin Odin Lloyd's. Um, case and Aaron Hernandez has now committed suicide now as you uh, as you were saying his case then because he was in Massachusetts has this kind of weird law that happens and it allows someone who dies uh, while an appeals case is ongoing, basically the conviction is vacated um, and he's rendered innocent. Well, and our legal system is challenging it on its best day um, because, you know, every state has its own own laws. And, you know, we have in his case crimes committed in multiple states and various levels of crimes because you know we've only talked about we've talked about the murders and um the bar fights there was other events that have happened that we're just we're not really going into but his pattern of getting into trouble started quick in um high school the end of high school i believe it was well mostly seemed to have started in college and um it makes things very challenging because one state can say one thing, 
but it's going to depend on does the other state agree with that or for this law does this does the home state count or does the residing state count where did he live at the time where did it happen what transpired did it cross state lines and and oh my gosh you know it can get so messy so yeah, quick uh, it definitely can and so like what ha- so what ultimately happened in this Massachusetts case is that uh Odin Lloyd's family clearly did not like that outcome that his conviction was vacated uh so as so things progress and ultimately his uh criminal innocence is then overturned by the supreme judicial court and his conviction is reinstated so the supreme judicial court in massachusetts reinstates hernandez's conviction um and then they they noted that his conviction was neither affirmed nor reversed, uh, and then the appeal was rendered uh, moot because Hernandez has died while the case was on appeal, and that occurred because of uh, Odin Lloyd's family going and wanting to kind of change how this works in Massachusetts. Now, as, as I was saying, a lot of people, you, you know, we don't even we don't really know why Aaron Hernandez committed suicide. Uh, some people tend to to believe that it was because of this appeals thing. Uh, everyone in in death row and in the the prison where Aaron Hernandez was knew about this rule or knew about this law that would happen if you were under an appeal that your conviction would be vacated if you died because there was a famous case in Massachusetts where someone was killed by another inmate and their case was vacated because they were uh, in appeal. So some people, you know, throw out this idea that he knew this was going to happen and he killed himself for his family. And I, I say that because some people say he did it so that, uh, he wouldn't be guilty and that ultimately the Patriots would then continue paying out his like, I believe $40 million contract towards his family and for his daughter. So there's this whole contingent of people who, who throw this idea out there that he did it so that his family would be financially sound from his contract. Um, but you know, that's a whole whole like thing we don't know we don't know if that's the reason why correct we don't know and that's and that's the thing because we're talking about someone who who does display periodic you know he does display clarity and then other times anger so we don't know what's going on what we do know is any of these theories are plausible you know we have that he killed himself to save his family for this you know um, then there's of course the theory that he killed himself over the fact that the interviews about his sexuality were going to be, you know, had been aired and pretty much is, you know, all of that is out there and that is absolutely possible. I mean, these are, there are so many, there are several theories and I, several of them are absolutely plausible. Yeah. Uh, that whole radio segment is just so disturbing. Now, so in in the radio segment that we are talking about, you have, uh, let's see, we have about three different people talking. So you have someone saying 
Michelle knows the real motive for the murder of Odin Lloyd. And let's just say that Odin Lloyd caught Aaron Hernandez in a compromising position. You have another person say, you could say that Aaron Hernandez was a former tight end before he was kicked off the Patriots. Third person, tight end on and off the field as well. And then it continues. And then he became a wide receiver. So you think he's comfortable in the prison lifestyle? He's probably doing well for himself romantically, perhaps. Let's just say that Aaron Hernandez is known to kick with both feet. Right. And I think discussing people in that way, no matter who they are, it doesn't it doesn't help. There's other things about this case to really discuss. And you can even discuss someone's sexuality in the fact if you think it was a a point of evidence in a case. But to make jokes about it, if that is indeed what happened, Odin Lloyd died over it. He was if he was murdered by Aaron Hernandez because Hernandez could not deal with that secret being out. You know, it, I believe there is a also um, a former classmate alleged that he and Hernandez had a uh, either a relationship or a sexual relationship through middle and high school. You know, so a lot of times, you know, I don't want to always say where there's smoke, there's fire, but there does at least seem to be a case for him either being bi and or gay, bi or gay, and how it's just how callously to discuss that and leaving out the fact that. There wasn't just a motive for his murder. It's this would have been in the way that a straight man has attacked and murdered um trans women, you know, out of just sheer anger, realizing that maybe they were that they were trans. Um, Aaron Hernandez reacted apparently violently to being caught in a position. Yeah, that I could think that something goes, about himself. You know, if we just like step away from the whole murder situation and just talk about uh someone who grew up uh, a father who, by all accounts, there was abuse in the family life. Uh, the the uh, person you spoke about who may have had a relationship with him in middle and high school uh, spoke on the documentary about how his father uh, would have reacted poorly to him being gay. And so Aaron Hernandez's father, as he said, because he knew Aaron Hernandez's father definitely would have acted poorly to that situation about his son being gay. So you have this whole like family life uh, growing up where he probably knew his father would not accept that. And, you know, that just continued all through his, his life. These instances uh, potentially uh, kind of like hiding or like de-escalating his gayness and wanting to act more straight. If we want, if we want to say that that is potentially what was happening, there were uh, many cases that where you have football players and we're talking about sexuality where they choose to go into football to kind of act more straight. Now we're not saying that this is the case with Aaron Hernandez, but there is this thought out there because there are other football players who have said they've chosen to get into football because it's manly and you know, it's like everyone hitting each other and no one would su suspect that you're gay, basically using football as a beard. So normally you would have, <laughs> I was just going to say that. Um, did you, I don't know if I said, 
I don't, you know, we'll have to do an episode about this where we talk about our coming out and everything. But my stepdad, I believe I was raised primarily by him until I was 10. I remember him always talking about um, hinting that he basically wanted a football player kid. And I, that is not, (laughs) that is not what was going to happen. And when parents have these dreams for their kids to go just beyond being successful, but to drag them through, you know, things you know it's kind of like just because he was built like a football player is that what he wanted to do and what i what i haven't heard in any of this that we've talked about is did anyone at any point ever ask aaron hernandez if he wanted to if that's what he wanted with his life yeah i i I think i don't know where i saw this but i feel i saw this somewhere where there was an article or something talking about uh, when Aaron Hernandez's dad was still alive, there was a point in time where Aaron Hernandez, he wanted to cheer. Uh, and his father apparently shut that down and was like, no, you're not going to cheer. And then I think then he just fell into the football See, thing and wanting to like, uh, I guess, make his dad proud then because his dad also was a football player. But that's one of those things as you're discussing, like well, every father, I don't want to say every father, but many fathers who are like, my son's going to be a football player or a baseball player, or like uh, trying to attribute something to, at, I guess in recent years, we've kind of started trying to shift away from that. But back then it was like if you're a boy you're this and you know it doesn't even just go to like football or sports it could be like you know if you're a boy you're a firefighter and you're a police officer if you're a girl you're a nurse and a receptionist yeah i grew up with those those are the stereotypes i grew up with and um you know i can remember i think I was about second grade and we would play these jump rope games and like the whole class, we would all try to all squeeze onto the jump rope while two people were on each end and the whole class would try to like jump rope. And my parents came to pick me up from elementary school and my stepdad was, or my dad was like, why are you using the jump? Why are you jumping rope? I'm like, well, our whole class is, you know, he's like, you're not going to jump rope again. You know? And I just remember these little like moments, like (laughs) I was gay before that, (laughs) you know? And and it made me wonder the reason I brought that up about Aaron Hernandez in the direction was usually when people, not always, of course, but you know, there's always something that when you're falling off or falling apart, there's something that drives you. There's usually something that brings you back for an athlete. You know, maybe it's their sport when their whole world is crashing down, they find solace on the field or the environment of their sport. But he obviously was very good at it. I mean, athletically, he was more than qualified to do what he's doing, but it didn't seem, you know, he assured everybody he was fine, but he was clearly overwhelmed by the amount of trauma going on behind the scenes, which was just leading to more bad behavior, which, of course, ultimately resulted in several fights, bar fights, attacks. Oh, my gosh. Like, there's just so many, you know, and maybe... In the grand scheme, the list isn't huge, but most people do go through their lives without, you know, being convicted or accused of very serious crimes. And you have somebody that doesn't have direction. There isn't who's there to restrain him. And how do you restrain a adult who's a professional football player with that if they're not going to listen? I mean, his fiance called the police several times and, you know, the cries for help are there. 
but yeah, I I think you know we we don't want to dismiss that the, these crimes occurred. Old Odin Lloyd's family is is suffering the loss of their loved one. Aaron Hernandez was convicted of Odin Lloyd's murder. So that's just a, the statement statement of fact by all accounts. But, you know, stepping back from that, you know, we want to like look behind the mind of someone who has committed this crime. There's a lot of things that you can kind of place together that are like make things kind of click and be like, that seems like that is a path of that led us here. And, you know, it could be, you know, growing up the harsh nature of his father and the beatings and then losing his father. And that's where a lot of people tend to think that he kind of lost his way. He didn't have that structure. Then he goes into play football in Florida and he kind of gets away with things. He, you know, if he indeed did this, this shooting that occurred that, you know, was basically just tossed out. No one was arrested. Nothing happened. You know, if you're in that mindset and you did do this and you get away with it because of who you are and being this football star, that's going to play in your mindset too, because it's like, I got away with this. I can, I can do it. Not even thinking if it's right or wrong. It's just, I got away with it. Like it's, it's not wrong. And then you play into all of this, the the CTE that we know was present um, with him and his brain and those decision-making skills as you spoke of that you just don't have them or they lead to outbursts of rage. Yeah, and, and somebody who's raging angry is going to do something that in their calmest moment would never dream of you know doing, but how many times... Do we see? I mean, we've all watched daytime television. We've all seen people like, oh, I can't believe they did that. Or even the person that did it. You know, when I was in that, you know, or you have someone who is at one point was an addict and they discuss the things they did while they were under the influence. They can't even, they're so upset with themselves. They can't believe what they did or they put themselves or their families through. And they were just lucky they didn't have, you know, legal consequences. But in this case, you know, we don't really know i mean only really aaron hernandez knows if he was involved in all of these things and you know and you also have as you mentioned earlier that immaturity and when you have when someone makes all your decisions for you and directs your life it does a disservice to you because you don't know how to make decisions i mean (laughs) the thing is like he was young like he was you know under 25 when all of this is happening all this is occurring you know you look at him and you think he's older than he is. But in reality, like he's a child. He was young. Yeah, like, this is all started when he's literally a teenager. Like setting all of this aside, he's still just his brain is kind of still developing of who he is and like what things are and what things are going on. But you add all of these other things going on. And I think one of the the kind of overarching things throughout all of those things you know we put together that his growing up in the football and all that is kind of kind of what we've talked about is that sexuality and the repression um not wanting other people to know about it and that can obviously lead for anybody who is in that situation if you're trying to protect this secret you're going to do anything at 
all costs to prevent that secret from getting out. Especially if you've been taught or told or it's somehow beat into your brain that that it's wrong that that secret is going to end everything you have i mean we have all heard the whole thing i'd rather have a dead son than a gay son you know we don't know if he ever heard that but i am sure he heard that message loud and clear that those words were never spoken to me in my life but i know those words because it i've seen it spoken to other kids and adults and and that friend you talked about in the middle school high school that may have had a relationship with him you know, he he personally felt that his father wouldn't be accepting. Thankfully, in his case, his father has accepted him and they have a great relationship. But if he felt that way when he was young, I'm sure Aaron Hernandez also also felt that and took that with him. Uh, one thing that has just recently actually come out after this Netflix documentary has been come out is that Jonathan Hernandez, which is uh, his brother, um was recently on the Dr. Oz show and he talked about uh, his mother, Terry Hernandez uh, was quote flooded with tears during uh, a prison visit with Aaron Hernandez. And this is coming from Jonathan Hernandez, Aaron Hernandez's brother uh, where apparently Aaron Hernandez confided about his sexuality to his mother. They also talk about, uh, the father and what his father's reaction would have been to this sexuality, if it is true and the secret. And um, Jonathan Hernandez says concerning this, I can't imagine him even being able to, my dad would have thought he could beat that out of him. So that is coming from Aaron Hernandez's brother on what he feels his dad would have done had his dad known or felt that his son was gay and feeling that he could just beat it out of him. Right. And, you know, I think even when you tell an accepting family, like I did not know how my family would react. I didn't think it would be a huge deal. I didn't think I would be like attacked or anything, but I still remember that, that feeling. And I don't know if you experienced this too, um, other friends that I know that have come out, you know, when they came, even when they knew their families probably knew already. And in my case, my family knew. Um, my family uh, were like worked in uh, music and musicians and stage. And so that's just something that, you know, they're not too surprised about. They think they saw it a mile away. But, you know, Aaron Hernandez's lawyer was a gay man. He said Hernandez was obviously gay. And I'm not trying to make a joke when I say gaydar, but how many times have we seen someone, you know, with their wife and kids and we're like, um, I don't think they're straight. Now we don't know they could be bi. And that's why we don't comment because it's not appropriate to comment on someone's sexuality in that manner. You know, you don't know this person. And, um, so I can only imagine what it would be like as a 16 year old budding star athlete who, you know, I mean, if he has to get high every single day, if he has to smoke and his, before every practice in school and everything to deal with daily life, there's obviously problems building here. And then of course, you know, we add in head injuries and to protect his possibly his greatest secret. Um, it looks like he killed Odin Lloyd over it. And then of course, you know, this is obviously not his only, it's complicated because it's not like this is his only run in with the law. You know, there was clearly some anger and 
well, lots of anger issues here. Yeah, that was uh, uh, the prosecutor in the double homicide murder case in Boston. You know, he clearly believed with all the evidence that he had that Aaron Hernandez was responsible for the murder of these two individuals in Boston. Just simply by the evidence of that van being found in Aaron Hernandez's cousin's garage. I mean, how does that happen? But there were there were circumstantial evidence that was Aaron Hernandez the one that actually fired the gun. And that's kind of where the, the acquittal happened. You know, they couldn't say for sure that Aaron Hernandez did it or was it the passenger. But this prosecutor uh, kind of... As time passed on, and once uh, Aaron Hernandez had died, they did the research on his brain, and they found the CTE uh, situation and found how really, really bad it was. And this prosecutor talked about how he started doing research on CTE and what CTE does to the brain and uh, the way it makes you react when you get in certain situations and just like the way it changes changes your brain and it's something that you don't even realize you're doing necessarily and again we don't want to say like forgive that that he killed these people because of this but you know from everything that i've read i do believe it played a part in it and this prosecutor ended up believing the same thing it kind of changed his mind because he was like that explains everything it explains everything that we had in our case and everything that we had researched about Aaron Hernandez's past that we brought up in the trial. It explains everything, this CTE and the sudden outburst and everything. It all play-by-play play medical reasons that these things were occurring or potentially were occurring, this prosecutor believed. So I think that's kind of a big thing that you have this prosecutor who was trying him for this double murder and homicide, but then when he started researching and those facts came out about Aaron Hernandez's brain because they were able to research it, that he kind of had like a change in mind. Now that's not to like say you shouldn't be held responsible, but that brings a whole different topic up of yeah, that's some. There's a lot the brain of brain injuries and football, and should guidelines. should that even you know continue as it does? Well, because right, because it doesn't absolve him of the uh, of the actions taken. Several people are dead because of the actions of Aaron Hernandez. But in the process of A to Z, Aaron Hernandez is not A. He is somewhere in the middle of that, and you know. Lots of people are um, raised in similar situations and don't turn out to, you know, uh, they don't result in the murder of innocent people or other people. And so we have, it looks like there is obviously other issues building. And that's what, that's why there's just so many things in this case, in his case, that could, could be so many episodes, you know, you you could have where we talked about just his relationship with Odin Lloyd and why was there something about him that he reacted to specifically just his childhood is just an entire drama. And, you know, he has an older brother and his older brother did not react and turn out this way, but Aaron did. So was he predisposed? You know, was there something already going on, but all we can do at this point is speculate and hope that the Lloyd family can at 
somehow find healing in all this because I can't imagine going through this, you know, losing, losing your young son, using, losing your child. And then the person that's responsible, you know, they're responsible. They know they're responsible. The world knows they're responsible and a medical condition. It, it would be hard. I think it would be even as understanding as even as I can be as a person, it would be hard for even me as a spectator over on this side of it to, to hear that and say, Oh, okay. So we're writing it off as, you know, it's like when you're, you know, an abusive alcoholic and we're like, Oh, well, it's okay because they were just drunk. They hit me when they're drunk, but when they're sober, they're great. You know, it, it, you know where, it was, where this weird, it was this weird thing when I was watching this and I was kind of texting Matt occasionally, uh, I, the documentary on Netflix, like it starts off and you're like, I, so I didn't, I knew about just highlights of what had occurred in his murder and, and his suicide, but I didn't know many of the details and I didn't know anything about his early life. But when I was watching this documentary, it starts off and you're just like, wow, like he is good at this and you just become mesmerized with him. And then as he develops and you're kind of along for this journey of all of these things happening, but intertwined, there's like home life and getting involved with this group of people and that group of people. And then that causes you to do this. And then this happens and the shootings happen. And then you get off of the shootings no one's arrested and then life continues on and you get this big contract for the NFL. Like you're just along for this journey and there's like highs and lows and you're like, they're supporting him. And then you're like, Oh wait, no, I'm not supporting him because now he did that horrible thing. It it was a weird roller coaster of emotion. I have to say, because there's like some parts of it that you feel sympathy for him. But then at the same time, it's like, but he killed killed Odin Lloyd. He was convicted in that case, potentially killed two other people in Boston. Yet, in a weird way, you have like some sympathy because you have all these other like, I guess, reasons that he potentially turned out the way he did. I think it, the sympathy, well, because, you know, he was still a person. And I think some people, you know, some people do horrible things in their life because they just go out and do horrible things in their life. And that leads to the question, are some people just born bad? But in a case, but we look at every case individually. And, you know, before he was Aaron Hernandez, the football player, the convicted killer, the legal troubles, he was still at one point a child who had hope in the world. And do we look at it? my sympathy for him comes in the how preventable was this you know did would anybody have ever how you know, really i guess that is my question how preventable was this that you know how many he was i know he was even carted off in an ambulance when he was in high school due to a hit he took and why aren't there more regulations and more tests done on football players to monitor the state of their brain i mean how many student athletes did you know in high school if you know your classmates now how many of them have knee ankle and wrist problems for example 
none of us knew to tape our shins or wrists or elbows, you know. None of us just knew. So Yeah, it's one of the look at- It's one of those things where like as time evolves and we learn more things, we hope we change the way we do things. You know, I always I see this thing uh there's like ads for like cars back in the 50s where there's like a hammock for the kid to lay in or there's layback seats where like the kid could literally like lay down it's put out there as like it's a family car your kids can lay down and sleep while you drive we don't have that anymore because we realized that that was horribly yeah a disaster you're going to kill your child right (laughs) and so we've learned from that and so in this case i would hope we've learned i i feel we have not i feel that nfl has not and i know that's a huge statement to make but all of the facts show that football is super super dangerous like there are kids in high school getting concussions and like i think there's even been some deaths in high school of high school students playing football like however we want to speak it to it football in itself is like a deadly sport like it is killing people there's been huge studies and there's been many people who've been involved in the nfl hundreds i believe at this point in time who had their brains donated and they found cte in pretty much every one of them i think i saw a list somewhere and it talked about each position in football in which positions have the most cte injuries every position that they have studied has had a CTE injury. So no one has been immune from having these CTE injuries because of football. But there are some positions that that do have higher CTE um, instances. So yeah, it's just a, it's a hard thing to look at and, and to look at in this case that it could have been a contributing, contributing factor that really played into things. Um, I think kind of to like wrap it up and we've kind of like we focused on these different reasons and different thoughts behind Aaron Hernandez and what maybe was going on in his mindset or things that were playing into his mindset that caused him to kill Odin Lloyd and one of those big ones has been talking about his sexuality and the repression that he had internally uh, not wanting to disappoint his father even probably after his father had died still not wanting to uh, mess up the legacy that he left behind. I think leaving it kind of a little bit on a high note is something that his fiance, Shiana Jenkins Hernandez said um, in concerning his sexuality and the recent, interviews that have happened with Jonathan Hernandez on Dr. Oz talking about Aaron Hernandez's sexuality and his fiance had this to say it's not shameful and I don't think anybody should be shameful of who they are inside regardless of who they love I think it's a beautiful thing I just wish I was able to tell him that and that's in response to her kind of wishing and hoping that he would have confided in her about his sexuality. Right. And, you know, he knew his fiance, I believe they've known each other since elementary school. So, you know, this is somebody who's known him probably better than almost anybody else in his life outside of direct family. And she became family, you know, and for her to say that and think that all the years, I'm sure I can't even imagine what she lives with wishing she could have 
said or could she have i'm sure she's gone through that a thousand times in her head and you know when you look at this there's just this huge trail of (laughs) crimes questions and i think that miss jenkins absolutely kind of hit it on the head when it comes to aaron hernandez like how preventable was this and i i can't imagine that she has you know obviously everybody has to live with that was involved with the situation now has to live with that um but i think it was also a really good point to bring up to to start wrap to wrap this up as well yes and so um you can find more information about aaron hernandez on our website thecomacast.com uh we'll have a full article talking about kind of some of the stuff we talked about a lot of the stuff we didn't talk about because again there was so many side tangents and different things that kind of contributed and led to this whole crazy crazy thing that was uh aaron hernandez's life and ultimately murder and death um of suicide so you can find all of that on the comicast.com you can find a lot of articles and other podcasts that we've talked about also on the comicast.com and be sure to check out our other podcasts that are posted on itunes and spotify there's a lot of good things um, to listen to and learn about. I think in this case, it's been, it's been, I have to say, one of the more exciting cases that we've had to discuss because there were so many like things that contributed to what happened. And I know a lot of times in the past we've talked about the victims, but in this case, you know, he was kind of a victim of his own. Right. I, I found this actually, um, I actually found this more difficult than um, the other cases we've talked about. You know, the other cases, you know, um, Marsha and Venus and, you know, they all identified differently than I did, but I wanted to tell their stories as at least bring them into conversation because I don't have to be them. My job is as a person now is to that we remember what they brought and that we do our best to try to bring attention to it and maybe hopefully someday solve and answer some of the questions that were left behind when they were taken away but for um you know eileen uh, warnos and aaron hernandez there's the same pattern of just to say it simply uh disjointed youth and raising and just not going well for them but for aaron you know i maybe it's come also a gay man but seeing how parallel lives can run and see how differently they can turn out and i found it much harder to look at because maybe it's a psych major in me but i'm incredibly fascinated by how he thinks and that's where my i think that's where my sympathy really lies is like how preventable it was but also my sympathy is incredibly with the victims because I've never been a person to, I can understand where somebody's coming from, but that doesn't mean I necessarily, I'm not in any way condoning it because he came from lots of people come from horrible backgrounds and don't do these things. But in his case, you have this severe brain injury that just, it's awful. And so I think I really struggled. We were doing this episode, trying to find kind of a footing where you know because ultimately all these people are dead and all these families are destroyed 
and it's permanent. Everybody involved will carry this with them for the rest of their lives in infamy. And I think that's very difficult So, yeah, to, to have to live with and then have to answer these questions publicly. And in every time it comes up and someone says Aaron Hernandez, none of these people are ever going to get to rest with it. So thank you again for joining us for this episode of the Comicast where we discussed Aaron Hernandez. Again, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at the Comicast and on our website, thecomicast.com. And until next week, I'm Cody. I'm Matt. Thanks for listening.